Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Good morning, Living Water Community Church. How are you guys doing today? Yeah, I want to welcome everyone who's here with us today, as well as everyone that's joining us online. Today we begin a brand new series. It's our Christmas series, and I just want to stop for a second and say, what, doesn't, doesn't the stage look pretty awesome? It's starting to feel like Christmas. Do you agree with that? Yeah? We got our nativity, we got our trees. Super, super excited about what God is going to do this season, and we're super excited about what God is going to do here at Living Water Community Church. The new series that we're starting today is, is entitled Caroling Through Crisis, or Caroling Through the Christmas Crisis. And crisis is, I think, a really good word to describe much of what we've seen this year. I've heard so many people say they can't wait until 2020 is over. How many of you are those people that can't wait for 2020 to be over? Yeah? A couple of hands. But the question I ask is why? Why? Is it that all of a sudden, as soon as 2020 is over, everything automagically gets better? As soon as that clock strikes and the ball drops in Times Square and we look at our smartphone and it says 1-1-2021, does that mean that everything is better? So we talk about, I can't wait for 20, and I understand it, I get it, um, but we need to be hoping for a lot more than just the year to be done, right? There's a lot more we need to be hoping for and looking forward to. And again, I'm not trying to rain on anyone's parade. It's not my intent. I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer up here. Um, But the situations in our lives don't just simply change because we move from one year into a new year. Life still continues, amen? The bills keep coming, amen? Ooh, I guess everyone here doesn't have to pay bills, because I wasn't getting much of a response. In 2021, the bills are going to still keep coming, amen? Amen. Yeah? Your kids are still going to need to get some help with the the online school maybe, right? Yeah? Am I the only one? I know my wife is actually the one. She's the one that does that the most. She's awesome. We still have to make money in 2021. Our kids are still going to get on our nerves in 2021, your spouse is still go- I'm not even going to say anything about that, so let's never mind on that. But wouldn't it be nice if every path was straight, every path was clear, beautifully paved with gold bricks? Huh? Wouldn't that be awesome? With no obstructions. That would be fantastic. Things that you never planned for, good or bad, are going to happen. Life is a journey, and from time to time, it's going to throw a loop. The medical report that you didn't exist, that you didn't expect. The accident that you didn't see coming. The loss of a job. Moving from one place to another. The new baby. Losing a baby or a child. Or losing someone without any warning. Today's message is going to primarily focus on a cast of characters that don't really get too much attention. They don't really get too much airplay. And the name of today's message is Angels We Have Heard on High, which was the song that you heard during the intro. When it comes to people's plans and expectations being thrown out the window, there are plenty of examples in the scriptures. Plenty of examples. You may have heard this joke before, and the joke goes like this. How do you make God laugh? Tell him your plans. That's how you make God laugh. Well, it's true today. That's a very true statement. But I want to promise you it was also true back then. Our main cast members today, they found that out. Let's see. Can anyone tell me who these people are? What do you think? Just shout it out if you know who those are. 
Mary and Joseph. So that's interesting because how do we know that? Is maybe because it's Christmas? Maybe because they look like they would be named Mary and Joseph? It's like when we see pictures of Jesus. You're like, oh, that's Jesus. You know what Jesus looked like. I mean, we know what he looked like based on how things were described in the Bible. But you know what he looks like. So what if I said that was Moses and his wife? We wouldn't know, right? I digress. Yes, that's Mary and Joseph, the best we know. And they found that out. They found out that there are many curves in the road. They found that out. In fact, the whole Christmas story is all about unexpected events and curves in the road. And today we're going to join uh, Mary and Joseph on an exploration of how to deal with the unexpected curves in the journey we call life. And our story begins today in the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee. Let me stop right there. Elizabeth, for context, is Mary's cousin, who's also the mother of John the Baptist, right? So John the Baptist is Jesus's cousin. Mary and Elizabeth are cousins. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. Mary was engaged to, to be uh, married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. Let me pause right there and just think about that. Imagine this scenario, because I'm sure a lot of us would love to have this encounter. You're going along your merry way, and an angel of the Lord appears to you. And the angel of the Lord says to you, you have found favor with God. Imagine that. Wouldn't that be an amazing encounter? Anyone would love to have had that happen to them? An angel appear? Yeah? I would love that. You have found favor with God. But then now what does the story go on to say? It says, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, But how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the baby to be born will be holy. And he will be called the Son of God. The baby that's going to be born, that you are going to have, will be holy and will be called the Son of God. I want us to just be thinking about the gravity and the magnitude of what that would mean. Think of yourself in that situation. Mary was nothing more than somewhere between 13, 14, or 15 years old when this is happening to her. And she's being told, you found favor you're going to have a baby, and that baby is going to be holy, and that baby is going to be called the Son of God. That's a lot. That's a lot going on. Verse 38, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Now, how many of you think that becoming pregnant by way of the Holy Spirit and giving birth to the Son of God was part of Mary's plan for the new year. Probably not, right? But this is a perfect example that there will be unexpected curves on the journey of life. There will be unexpected curves on the journey of life. 
Let me point out just a few in this story. First of all, Mary's pregnancy. Now, I need to give you some background so you understand um, the scenario and what's going on here. The scripture tells us, Mary was engaged to Joseph. Now, the marriage custom back then, it consisted of kind of three parts, if you will. The first was the promise of marriage. This is where you're making the promise. But this could be broken or it could be canceled very informally. Kind of like maybe today what we would say is dating, right? This is what they would consider the promise of marriage. Second was called the betrothal. Betrothal. That was legally ratifying or agreeing to the terms and kind of like a contract, if you will, um, legally ratifying by both families, ratifying this planned marriage by both families through a covenant, through an agreement, with the intent to finalize the marriage vows at the appropriate time. This would kind of be like the engagement period that we see nowadays, okay? Loosely, like the engagement period. Finally, the third part, the groom went on the marriage day to the home of his bride to bring her to his home. Joseph and Mary were at stage two, okay? And though the marriage had not been consummated, I'm going to use that word a couple times here, so for those who don't know, anyone here or anyone watching online, that's kind of what happens typically on the wedding night. That's known as consummation of the marriage, okay? So, and though the marriage had not been consummated, Mary would have been considered to belong to Joseph, even though she continued to live with her parents for a year or more after their formal engagement. Now, a formal engagement of a year or more before the consummation of the marriage was very, very common back then. Sometimes it was because the bride was just too young, because oftentimes back in these days, um, women were getting married at 13, 14, 15 years old. Sometimes the bride was just too young. And sometimes the groom needed some time to establish himself financially. The groom needed time to make sure that he could provide for and take care of the wife that he's about to take on. These are, many, these are re- some, two examples of why there may be a, a longer engagement period. Now, I said they're at stage two, right? Part two. It was at this time, before Mary and Joseph consummated their marriage, that she learned of God's intent and was now expecting a child. Now, as I was preparing this message, I just thought to myself, I'm like, wow, the sad reality in today's society is that this whole thing of becoming, becoming pregnant before, it's become common. It's not seen, it's not seen as the, the incorrect way of doing it when compared to what the scripture says in God's plan. It's perfectly fine. For some, it perhaps it's even part of the plan. And again, I'm not, I'm not judging. I'm saying, but this definitely does stray from what the Bible teaches and what God says uh, the, the process should be. But in those days, for sure, this was an issue. It was a curveball that would have been thrown at anyone. This was, in fact, a crisis. This was a crisis. Can you imagine the emotions that Mary's dealing with here? 13 years old, 14 years old. Can you imagine how she's feeling? Here is a young lady preparing for her wedding day. Preparing for her wedding day. She's busy making sure that, you know, everything's in order. She has the, you know, the right napkins and she has the right, you know, all that kind of stuff that the ladies do. She wants to make sure that everything is in order and everything is right. She picked out her DJ. She knew who was going to do the intro song. She knew what the bridal party was going to walk in and the dance they were going to do. She had it all planned out. She's busy making sure everything was in order and everything was working right. And in the middle of all that, an angel appears with this astounding news. Ladies, 
Put yourselves in her shoes. Can you imagine all the things that are going through Mary's mind? Can you imagine the weight that she must have felt at that point in time? This already sounds pretty messy. It sounds like it belongs on a, an episode of Jerry Springer or Maury Povich or something like that, right? But based on the scriptures, it seems that as soon as Mary got this news from the angel, she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth. This is when she went to go visit Elizabeth, immediately after hearing that news. Now, by the time she returns from her visit with Elizabeth back to her, her hometown, she's now past her first trimester. So this is about three months later that she's back to her hometown. And this is where I've got to say, although Joseph doesn't really get too much attention, how he handles this crisis is very, very commendable, and it tells us a lot about who he is. You see, the fact that Mary became pregnant before the wedding day had some serious implications, some serious, serious consequences, because she was engaged. She was already engaged. In the book of Deuteronomy, it lays out the penalty for this kind of scenario. And the penalty could be as little as you're going to be publicly disgraced in front of your family and the community. Publicly disgraced. And on the extreme side of that same law, you would be stoned to death. You would be stoned to death for doing this. So this is a bad situation. This is not just a walk in the park like, like it would be today. This is a very, very bad. This is truly a crisis. But Joseph's love for Mary was such that he believed she had been unfaithful to him, but didn't seek any type of financial or punitive retribution. Punitive means that you're really gonna, you're gonna make them get what they deserve, right? You're gonna show them, you're gonna throw everything out there, you're gonna disgrace them, you're gonna, you're gonna show them for what they are. That's, that's what that means, all right? He wasn't seeking any type of um, reward in that sense, even though he would have been completely justified in the Mosaic law to do so. If he chose to do that, he would have been right. But he didn't do that. What did he do? He resolved to himself that, well, he can't, he can't marry Mary anymore. So he plans to write her a bill of divorce privately. He plans to tell her, hey, I can't do this. We gotta, before we even get married, I got to call this thing off, but I'm going to do it privately, and I'm going to try to save Mary from the public humiliation and all the disgrace that she would have seen. Can someone say curveball? Because there's a lot going on here. Now, the next curve that happens, we're going to build on this, is the angel appearance. Initially, I said the angel Gabriel, um, well, actually, I didn't say this yet. The angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah in the temple. Zechariah was Elizabeth's husband. So you're tracking with me, right? You got Mary. Mary's cousin is Elizabeth. Elizabeth's husband is Zechariah. They were older. The, uh, the angel Gabriel came to Zechariah in the temple. He was a priest and told him, you're going to have a baby. To which he was questioning because they were both older in age. And I'm not going to go into the story of all that, but he made him, so he made him mute for the whole time until the baby was born. Um, that's that story. But the angel Gabriel was the one who delivered that note, that message to um, Zachariah, Zacharias um, and Elizabeth. The next time we see the angel Gabriel is what I just described when he came to Mary and told Mary what God's plan was. Right? That's the one we just read a little, ago, a little bit ago. And now, for the third time, the angel Gabriel appears. But he appears to Joseph this time in a dream. Matthew 1.18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became, 
became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. When Joseph woke up from the dream, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Remember, Joseph had decided to treat Mary fairly by not exposing her to that public disgrace. He planned to simply divorce her quietly. But before that could happen, the angel shows up. Before he got a chance to do that, the angel shows up and explains the situation to him. And what did Joseph do with this curveball? Well, he immediately obeyed the Lord, and he took Mary home to be his wife. Now, Mary and Joseph found themselves in an awkward position with respect to the rest of the village. The villagers would have assumed and, and considered that the baby that Mary's carrying belongs to Joseph, right? That would have been a natural thing to say, to assume. And while it would have been considered wrong to have had sexual relations during the betrothal period, so they weren't supposed to during that engagement period, there actually was no formal punishment except moving up the marriage date. We got to move up the wedding. That's, that's the punishment. So because he weighed the options, he said, you know what, the best thing for me to do, and in order to be obedient to what the angel told me from the Lord, he took her into his home. And by doing that, he removed the social stigma, if you will, that would have been tied to her. Joseph took on the role of protector and provided godly leadership in the relationship. And as I said before, Joseph doesn't really get much airtime. It's really only around, you know, once a year when it's Christmas time, maybe we hear something about Joseph. That's what's kind of typical. He doesn't get too much airtime. But what we see in the little amount of airtime he gets, he was clearly a man of faith, a man of strength, and a man of God. Amen? Amen. Think about it for a minute. Joseph, he was a common man. He was a carpenter. Right? He taught that trade to Jesus. But him being a common man and him um, not necessarily being anyone special by the world standards, he was chosen by God. He was chosen by God to be the earthly father to Jesus. He was the man that God chose to raise his own son. You getting that? God chose this man, a common man, but a good man, to be the one that I want to raise my son. And Joseph was content to play his role, to be obedient to the command that was given to him. And he was okay not being the star attraction of the picture. He was okay playing his role. Mary was chosen to give birth and be the mother of God's son. Let that sink in for a second. You're chosen to be the one to be the mother of God's son. Wow. 
The willingness of both Joseph and Mary to obey God demonstrates that they both had a servant's heart and are fully, fully obedient to the call of God in their lives. Didn't matter what the angel said, they would have followed it because they had chosen to be obedient to God in their lives. Now just when you think that we're past kind of some of the toughest curves that might have happened already, right? Now they go from, from being in Nazareth to Bethlehem to register for a census and also to pay taxes. Right at the same time that she's expecting the baby to be born. Right at the same time. And let me give you, an, uh, just so you understand the, the magnitude of that. They didn't have cars back then. They didn't have airplanes. There was no trains. There was no way for them to get from point A to point B unless they're walking or on some sort of animal. So the trip from, from, um, from Nazareth to Bethlehem was between four to seven days. Okay? Four to seven days for a pregnant woman on the back of a donkey. Probably not something that most of us would sign up for. Am I right? Yeah. Luke 2, 1 through 7. At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of, Na uh, village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. So in obedience to the Roman and Jewish governmental authorities, Mary and Joseph went together to Bethlehem. Although Joseph probably could have registered for the both of them if he went on his own. But you see, Mary was down to her, her last three weeks of pregnancy. And while some guys, certainly no one in here or no one watching, but while some guys would see this as the perfect opportunity to get a break from rubbing some feet or maybe fulfilling some late night cravings from Taco Bell, not that I have any personal experience with that, <laughs> Joseph, being the man that he was, decided that wasn't a good idea. I probably shouldn't just leave her alone. And the guys are saying, what an idiot. He should have gone, right? Joking. And the ladies are saying, that's right. Better not leave me. It's not my kid alone, right? Time was drawing near. Time was drawing near. And Joseph didn't want to take the chance to leave Mary at home. Why? Because the baby could come at any moment any point in time. The possibility was there. The baby could, could be born while he was gone. He didn't want to leave Mary in that situation. And the fun continues because when they finally do make it there, they finally do do this four, seven day journey on the back of a donkey. They get to where they're going and they can't find anywhere to stay. Another curveball. Can't find anywhere to stay. There's no place to stay. There's no place for you to sleep. No place you can go get some rest. There's no room in the inn. So many thoughts must have come to mind to them. So many thoughts. Did we make the right decision? Are we sure we heard right? Should we have stayed at home until the baby was born? Surely this couldn't have been God's plan. If this was God's plan, everything would have been laid out, right? There would be a room waiting for me. I wouldn't have to be trying to figure out where am I going to get some rest, where my pregnant wife, my nine-month pregnant wife, is, is going to be able to get some sort of comfort. Surely this couldn't be God's plan. And then top it all off, as if that wasn't enough of a crisis in the situation, 
Mary goes into labor. They're directed around back. Go around the back. And there, as we all know the story, there in a humble stable, away from anyone familiar, not in the comfort of home, with no splendor, no big hurrah, no fireworks, no trumpets blazing, no red carpet laid out, with no one but Mary and Joseph around to share in this moment the Savior of the world, the King of kings, the Son of God, Jesus, was born as a dependent infant. God entered this world as a dependent infant to a 14-year-old mom. Talk about a curveball. Talk about a situation. I can imagine Mary saying, uh, God, now what? Yeah? When curves or times of crisis come our way, it's very, very easy for things to spiral out of control. And it can very quickly lead to conflict or tension or added stress. Amen? Yeah? Any of these situations that I, that, I, um, that I mentioned here, I'm pretty sure if any one of us were in them, we probably wouldn't be putting on the smiley, the smiley face every day when we wake up. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of reasons to feel stress. There's a lot of reasons to, have, to feel tense and potentially have conflict. And if we just took a quick look back at some of the things, just a handful of the things that, that I've mentioned today, I think we would, we would agree with that. The dream of a perfect wedding turns into a pregnancy that's under suspicion. That's stressful. Joseph and Mary having to travel unexpectedly while there's already so much going on. That's stressful. The legal duties of registering and the personal situation of your wife expecting at the same time. That's stressful. Trying to find a place for your pregnant wife to rest after a long trip. That's stressful. All the decisions going through their mind. What do we do? Should we have traveled? Did we make a mistake? We're far away from home. We're far away from the hand-built crib that Joseph made that, that was awaiting the precious baby. We're far from all of our friends from all of our family, there's no security. We don't have the midwives that know us that are going to help us through this. We're away from familiar territory. We have no comfort. Talk about stress. Talk about tension. There's so many more examples of curveballs. From the story of the shepherds, Simeon's prophecy, the visit of the Magi, to the urgent need to escape, flee to Egypt for your life. So many more curveballs. But for the last few minutes this morning, I want to shift gears. And I want to shift gears and, and look at the choices. You see, that's where the rubber meets the road. We know that things are going to happen. We know that curveballs are going to come. There is no denying that challenges will present themselves through our lifetime. No denying that. And to everyone under the sound of my voice today, you will face a crisis. It's not that I'm wishing it on anyone. Don't get me wrong. But I just know it to be true. At some point in your life, you probably have already, but at some point in your life, you will face a crisis. It was true for Joseph. It was true for Mary. And it's true for us today. So what are we left with? Choices. We're left with choices. How do we choose to react when the crisis comes? How do we choose to respond? That's the part that we're left with. 
everything else is going to happen. And we may avoid some situations. I mean, I think we can use wisdom and avoid a lot of situations, but you can't avoid everything. So what are you left with? You're left with what are you going to do? Your choice. When those situations happen that you didn't see coming, the things that we didn't plan for, the, the apparent setbacks in our lives, in our careers, in our relationships, in our family situations, when things seem to be going off the rails, what are you going to do? How do you choose to respond? When life gives you lemons, you make most of the time, most of the time, but that's your choice, right? We have to make their choices. So what's left? You got to make a choice. You got to make a choice. Sometimes choices are easy. I wish they were always easy, but sometimes choices or the fulfillment of the choice is very hard. Let me say that again. Some choices are easy, but some choices and the actual process to walk out the choice can be very, very hard. So what should we do? What is the right thing to do? What's the easiest thing to do? What's the best thing to do? Well, Mary and Joseph had to make choices. And it boiled down to three options. Three possible choices. That's what it boiled down to. Option number one. Make the choice that seems best in my own mind. This is what Joseph had decided to do until the angel came to him in a dream. Joseph was making the decision that seemed best in his own mind to quietly divorce Mary until the angel came to him in that dream. But isn't that what we often do as, as, as regular people, you know? We reason it all out. We look at all these different options and we try to figure out what's the best course of action. We put together our whole, our whole rationale and our game plan before we even pray about it. We work out the whole plan without consulting God. We don't factor in, oftentimes, we don't factor in what 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 God's will for our life might be related to a decision we have to make? Are we thinking with the mind of Christ when we make the decision? Or are we just thinking about what will benefit what we can see? Reasoning things out is not a bad idea. Don't hear me wrong. It's not a bad idea. But if we neglect seeking God if we neglect asking God to help us, consulting with the master, with the boss who knows everything, then we can become our own worst enemy. We can become our own worst enemy. That's option number one. Option number two, we can make the choice that will benefit those closest to us. And this is what Joseph and Mary could have done by not going to Bethlehem. Had they not gone to Bethlehem for the census, they would have been in the space with their family. They would have been in the comfort of their own home. right? They would have been factoring in uh, what, what would benefit those closest to them. But if they did that, then the prophecy that, that said that the the Savior, the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem, that prophecy would not have been fulfilled. God had a plan. Amen? God had a plan. Amen? Amen. Amen. Oftentimes, this choice seems like the most noble choice. It seems like the one that, you know, we want to think about other people, so we should make this choice because we're not being selfish. We want to make sure that our family and our friends and all those loved ones around us are factored in and they're taken care of. It's not a bad thing to be noble. It's not a bad thing 
to factor in other people. But in this situation as well, if we don't seek the will of God, we can very easily get ourselves into problems and again, become our own worst enemy without God's provision and alignment. I've heard it said like this before. You may have heard this. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. I meant good. I thought it was the best choice for everyone. So now notice what Mary and Joseph did. What was their choice? At every curve, at every single, at every single moment in the crisis, they chose to trust God. They chose to let God lead. They chose to express faith in God. That was the option they chose. Making the choice that expresses faith in God. They chose to do the right thing. The ethical thing of following the law, no matter how difficult it may be. The law said he needed to go to Bethlehem. He went to Bethlehem, even though it was hard. They chose to trust God for their guidance and provision. Mary and Joseph chose to express their faith by obeying God. Mary obeyed God. We saw that a couple times today. Joseph obeyed God. We've seen that as well. And as a result, what did God do? Jesus was born into a godly home. And God continued to lead them on their journey in life. And as I come to a close this morning, I want to ask you this question. Have there been any unexpected curves in your life lately? Things that you didn't see coming. Maybe COVID-19 is one of those things. Maybe the, the impact of COVID-19, whether it be a, a someone getting sick, the loss of a job. There's a lot of things that have changed. There's a lot of curveballs that many people in this, in this country have experienced. And I'm sure that us as a, as a church body, we're not exempt from these things. Is there any conflict or is there any tension or added stress as a result of any of the unexpected curveballs that you have, made, you have seen lately? And what will you do about it? What will you choose? Will you choose the, the choice that, that seems to satisfy your own desires, suits your own best interest, seems the best in your own mind for you? Will you choose that, the option that benefits the people around you the most, your family, your friends, those that you love? Or will you choose to express faith in God by seeking Him and trusting Him first? You see, it's kind of a trick question. And here's why I say that. Because the interesting thing is, if you choose option three, to express your faith by following God, God will always do what's best for you and for those closest to you. God will always do what's best for you, always. It may not look like it, it may not feel like it at times, but God will always do what is best for you. I love being around people who are connected to God. You know why? I want some of that favor to rub off on me. You know, I like to hang out with Pastor Rick because some of that, some of that, that God-sprinkled favor kind of just overflows and like, oh, I get some, I get some. So it's a good thing. It's a good thing. 
Trust God enough to express it in obedience to him. It may not be easy. No one said it would be easy. God didn't say it would be easy. We can look at the scriptures and we can see what Jesus had to go through. Things are not easy, but they're necessary. We need to choose to be obedient and and he will continue to lead us on our journey through life. And as a result, you will be blessed and those around you will be blessed. Amen? Now, I think I'm familiar with most of the, of the faces that I see in here today. And I know we are, are online following. We have a lot of the common people that, that um, continue to follow us every single week. Hi, everyone. And that includes some of my family that's up in North Carolina, some family up in Maryland. Hi, guys. And while I can assume that everyone has already accepted Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, it would be foolish for me to make that assumption. It would be foolish to leave it at that. Why? Because it's just too important. It's that important. Someone who's like a Someone who's like a sister to me lost her father just two days ago. And it's sad. And we mourn. And we're going to miss dad. But I can take great comfort because I know that he made that important decision to trust Jesus for his salvation many, many years ago. And I can take comfort in that. And we want to send our best, um, our love out to Karina. Karina, we love you. Praying for you. But you see, just like, just like her father made that decision, I'll tell you that there is no more important decision that anyone can make than to surrender your heart and surrender your life to Christ. There's no more important decision. What you're planning on eating after church today is not more important. Who plays in the football game this afternoon is not more important than this decision. But it's a decision that only you can make. But it's the only decision that has eternal consequences every other decision doesn't matter when we're six feet under doesn't matter not to you it won't this is the only decision that anyone can make in their life that has eternal consequences so if you're listening this morning whether you're in the house with us at El Dub or if you're watching this online this morning or watching the, the rebroadcast at some point in the future and you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Not my mom's. You're not grandfathered in under your mom or your, your, your auntie or your grandma who's been praying for you for years. You have to make that decision. I have to make that decision as an individual. Not as a couple. Not as friends. As individuals. If you've never done that, and you want to do that, it would be my privilege and my honor to lead you in a prayer. Now what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads and to close their eyes. And I want you to understand right now that God is looking down from heaven. And for most of us, he looks and he says, ah, there's my son, ah, there's my daughter. I know her. I know him. But there are some, maybe in this room, or maybe watching at home, there are some who God is looking down at and is saying, come on, I love you so much. I need you right now. Please, 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 please accept me. 
I promise you that there's nothing that God wants more than to fill his heaven with all of us down here. But the choice is yours. If that is something you want to do today, again, whether you're here or you're online with every head bowed and every eye closed, just say something like this in the quietness of your heart. Lord Jesus, I come before you today and I thank you. I thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die for me. As an exchange for all my sin, Father, you clothe me in righteousness through Jesus. Lord, I am a sinner and I need a Savior. I thank you that you've made a way. I recognize that it's the only way. And today, Lord, I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Come into my heart, come into my mind. Lord, change me. Help me to be more like you. I thank you, Jesus, for your saving grace. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.